Good evening. It's wonderful to be with you tonight. This is our final service here in this place, and it has been a blessing. It has been wonderful, and it's been a great honor for me to be able to be here and to speak to you from the Word of God. Can you hear me okay? Is that all right? We've had technical difficulties somewhat. We've made some adjustments, and hopefully tonight, our final night, we'll be able to hear, hear okay. But if you're a visitor, we're thankful for you. We love you. We have visitors from other congregations. We thank you for coming and being supportive. If you're a visitor from the community, we're grateful to you. And we are encouraged by you. It is our hope tonight to give you hope. And that is the message. That's not the message that we're going to hear from the world or from Satan. It's not too late, but yet we will hear it is too late. In fact, that is a statement that is often repeated by the doubtful and the despondent. Those who have grown weary and those who have become discouraged. It is a statement made by the married couple who have been married maybe many, many years but they're facing what seem to be insurmountable problems. And instead of going and getting counsel or help, they simply separate or divorce and say, it's too late for us. Two adult sisters who do not speak to each other or may not have spoken to each other in years, while their mother waits and lies in hospice care, they rearrange their schedules so as to never be in the same room at the same time because they don't want to get along and they don't want to speak to one another. And when uh, encouraged to reconcile, they'll say, no, it can't be done. It's too late for us. This statement is made by the 19-year-old young man who has an addiction. And he has struggled and he has fallen. And he gets up and he falls again. And now he is ready to give in and to give up. And when he is encouraged to talk with and to speak with those who have had the same problem, he simply says, it's too late for me. Imagine, 19 years old. It's too late. The children are too old. The marriage is too cold. The sin is too great. It's too late. And that's a lie. That is a lie that the devil wants us to believe. And it is a lie that the gospel has the power to penetrate and to cut through. It is a lie that actually the gospel contradicts from the beginning to the end. And even at its very core, the gospel message is that while the world wants to condemn you and while the world wants to pull you down with them, God wants to uh, pull you up and he wants to uh, echo in the darkness. It is not too late. In fact, Jesus came into the dark world the world was full of darkness and Jesus, the light of the world, came in and with this message of salvation, this message of redemption, this message of hope, it's not too late. Now, we see this over and over again. 
And there is a great encounter that Jesus has with a man that no doubt felt like it was too late for him. And the Bible tells us this story in John chapter 5, 1 through 4, it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. This last phrase of, of uh, this section here that is highlighted, it's often considered by some scholars to be an interpolation, something that was added later. Some believe that these were the words of John to simply describe a superstitious belief of the time. It is unlikely that there was any uh, actual credibility to this, this idea that an angel came down and stirred up the water. Because our God is not a God who is going to make a bunch of crippled people race to get healed. And it seems unlikely that it's not just uh, intermittent periods of time when this is going to be available and only to the fir very first one that steps in. And so it is most likely that this statement is inserted here to help us understand the tradition and the mindset of the multitude. Regardless, what we do know is that this was a pool where sick people came with the expectation to get, made, to get well. They believed that they could find help. They believed that they could find healing. Now... Jesus comes to this pool one day and the Bible says that he encounters a man who had an infirmity for 38 years. That's a long time. I don't know how old you are. Some of you are older than 38 years. Some of you have not lived nearly that long. Maybe you are around 38 years. But can you imagine being in the same crippling condition for 38 years and nothing changing? You know what? That's 14,000 days that come and go, come and go. And this man had had this infirmity. We don't know exactly the nature of it, but he had been sick and he had been going to this place in order to be made well, and he had been sick for a long, long time. And I don't know exactly when it was or how it happened, but after enough time went by, this man must have began to lose hope. Maybe even lose faith that anything would ever change for him. But he hadn't given up. Because even if he had given up on anything changing, he was still at the pool. 
And wherever there is a thread of hope, then you can build a bridge with faith. Now, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew, Jesus knew the man, and he knew his condition before he even met the man, but he had known already that he had been in that condition a long time, he asked him a very intriguing question. And I want you to think about what he asked. He said to the man, Do you want to be made well? What kind of question is that? Why would he ask a crippled man who is sitting at a pool of healing if he wanted to be made well. You want to get better? Well, isn't it obvious, Jesus? I'm not here working on my tan. I'm here for help. But the longer I preach, the longer I live, the wiser that question becomes. Because here's what I've learned that Jesus already knew. There's a lot of people that like to go to the pool, but they don't really want to get well. There's a lot of people that may like to go to church, but they don't want to change. There's a lot of people that might want to sit and listen to a sermon, but they don't want to actually do anything about it and do anything with it. Do you want to get well, Jesus asked. This was his method of operation. He asked a blind man, what can I do for you? Isn't it obvious? And now he asked a crippled man, do you want to be made well? And that begs the question, doesn't it? Why would not anyone in such a crippling condition want to be made well? Let me give you a few reasons why. It's possible for a man that's been in a condition like that to deny the reality of the situation that he's in and to deny the reality and the hope of how things could be if he were better. He'd been there for so long. He had a new normal. It was his routine. He had gotten accustomed to living that life. And, you know, he was surrounded by a lot of other sick people and, and he, didn't, he didn't really think about the possibility of what his life could be like if he were better. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to get well? The denial of reality. Yes, it's possible for us to deny what could be and what really is. I saw a documentary several years ago. I think it was on the Learning Channel. And it was documenting a man who was having a 600-pound tumor removed from his body. Three times his initial body weight. He was a big man. And not only were they documenting the actual removal, but they were, they were, they were documenting how could a man allow something to grow that big before he did anything about it? And of course, you know, at first, the tumor wasn't that big. He, he knew that it was there, and he thought that with time, it would take care of itself. But time didn't. 
it grew and it grew and it got to the point that it became so big that he became embarrassed to do anything about it and he felt like it was too late to do anything about it and that's the way it is with sin in our lives sin starts small and we think that in time it will take care of itself and we allow it to to grow and it begins to take over and it becomes so big it may be a, a hidden thing but it becomes impossible to hide anymore and we become too embarrassed to ask for help or maybe we become hopeless in our own hearts and thinking it's too late to do anything about it this man the denial of reality but also there's some perks to laying by the pool and he knew what to expect. He knew what it was like. It wasn't ideal. But what if things were different? It wouldn't be comfortable. My daughter, who is married now, she's going to be out here in a few weeks visiting. But uh, when she was younger, she was jumping on a trampoline. She broke her leg. Terrible break terrible break painful I wasn't home at the time Bretta was home I was off in a meeting but uh, I remember that in the weeks following of course she had her cast and she got to stay home and uh, Bretta was off uh, working and I was at home working and I would go into the living room where Haley was laying down watching TV with her broken leg the pain was gone of course by this point but she got to eat in the living room. I brought her food and I brought her drink. And one time she had a Coke bottle, just, or it was a, a cold bottle of, of Coke or soda balancing on her forehead. She was just really enjoying life. She was, really didn't like to go to school, didn't have to go to school. And uh, if you were to ask her, do you want your other leg broken? She'd say no. But she also liked the idea of not having to try very hard, the expectations, the perks of being hurt. And there are lots of people that if you were to ask them, do you like your situation? They'd say, no, don't like my situation, but they're comfortable in it. They know what to expect. There's not a lot of expectations. Maybe they get attention this way or that way. And if you have to change, there's some risk involved. Fear of change is painful and risky. It's painful to change. You know it is? Whenever you're in a dark room and your eyes grow accustomed to the dark, and somebody comes in and flips the light on, do you know what you do? Your eyes squint because light is painful to the eyes when they have grown accustomed to the dark. The scholar or the philosopher once said, we can easily forgive a, a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy is when men are afraid of the light. Earl Nightingale said, you will remain the same until the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change. And yes, the fear of change 
It is risky, but it is worth it. Now let me move on here because we're going to continue the story. Jesus said, do you want to get well? And here's the man's response. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Now this is interesting. Because he doesn't answer Jesus with a yes or no. Do you want to get well? Yes. Do you want to get well? No. He doesn't say that. You know what he says in essence? I can't. I can't. I can't get well because I can't make it to the pool. He was relying upon a superstitious pool, uh, a whirlpool, to heal him when really the solution was standing right in front of him. And he didn't need the pool, but he needed Jesus. Now, there is a lot of psychology going on here because many times people do not change and they will try to excuse their behavior by saying, I can't do it. I can't. Psychiatrist uh, Frank Minnieerth and Paul Meyer wrote a book called Happiness is a Choice and in it they said, as psychiatrists, we cringe whenever Christian patients use the words, I can't or I've tried. Any good psychiatrist knows that I can't and I've tried are merely lame excuses. We insist that our patients stop saying can't and say won't instead. So if a patient comes in and says, I just can't get along with my wife, I, 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 rephrase it. I won't get along with my wife. I can't get my spending under control. Oh, I won't get my spending under control. Or I can't change my habits to I won't change my habits. And the idea is if you can change your can'ts to won'ts, you will take ownership and responsibility and there true change will begin to take place. Now, the problem here is this man said, I can't. And you know what? He, he really couldn't. He couldn't. He literally, physically could not help himself. And nobody else could help him either. Nobody else would help him. And nobody else could help him until Jesus came. And friend, let me tell you, this story is a microcosm of the gospel. We are in a sick and sorrowful state. We are in a condition that is crippling. We have a disease called sin that is debilitating. And we can't fix it on our own. And nobody else can fix our problem until Jesus comes along. And what Jesus can do is what no one else can. And Jesus says to the man, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He didn't say, holler for your buddy to 
get one arm and the other buddy get the other arm and shuffle home. No. He says, arise, take up your bed and walk. And in order for this man to do what Jesus said, he had to have a measure of faith. He had to believe that. He had to trust that this man standing in front of him was the one who had the ability to help him get up. And all of these words, three action words, by the way, rise up, take up, and walk. Get up. Jesus was expecting him to do something, and the Lord expects us to do something as well. The Lord expects us to do something, and that is obey what he teaches us to obey. Now, later on, the man, of course, gets up and he walks. He's healed, takes his bed home. It was on the Sabbath, by the way. Jesus was always healing on the Sabbath to stir up controversy among the Pharisees who thought it was wrong to heal on the Sabbath day. And Jesus was highlighting his ability to heal by doing it on the Sabbath day. And this man goes and afterwards Jesus finds him in the temple and he said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. Oh, think about this. A man that had been crippled for 38 years is now told by Jesus there's something more debilitating and serious and damning and worse than what you were in. And that's what sin does. Sin, it'll hold us back in this life, but ultimately it will cost us eternal life. And Jesus tells this man, go and sin no more, lest something worse happen or come upon you. That's a warning. That's an admonition for us as well tonight. Now, I want to conclude here by pointing out that the title of this message is It's Not Too Late. It's not, it's never too late. Because the Bible teaches that there will come a time when it will be too late. The Bible teaches us that we are to number our days. The time that we have, the life that we're given is limited. We're all marching and walking and some of us maybe even running towards our own fates. And we're going to die. And when we die, time will be no more. And the psalmist said, Lord, teach us to number our ways. Why? That we might gain a heart of wisdom. That we might live our lives in a way that's going to help us prepare for the time our days run out. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Jesus taught us that it is there, there is hope in life that it is not too late, but someday it will be too late to do anything about our condition. And therefore, we have to make the most of it. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, he says, uh, the, uh, I must do the work of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming in which no man can work. The night of death is approaching all of us. 
And when that happens, we're, we're out of opportunity. We're out of opportunity to change. And so let us know and let us prepare. I want to conclude here, if I can get it to come up, about Jesus' teaching in Luke 16. In Luke 16, Jesus taught a parable about a rich man who dies. He lived life uh, voluptuously. He, 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 he fared sumptuously. He had the best clothes money could buy. He lived in a mansion. He lived for himself selfishly. His ambition was to gratify the flesh. But he dies. And there was a poor man that laid outside of his house. Nobody knew his name, but God did. His name was Lazarus. And he also dies. And this poor beggar ends up in Abraham's bosom in peace and comfort. But the rich man ends up in torment. And he sees the beggar across the great gulf. And he sees Abraham and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send someone over here to dip his finger in water that I might be cooled for I am tormented in this flame. To dip the tip of a, a, a drop of water on my tongue. You know what Abraham said? Abraham said, Son, remember that in you that in your life you have received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he's comforted and you are tormented. And besides this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. You know what that means? It's too wide to be crossed. It's too deep to be filled. It is insurpassable. It is unalterable in its nature. And it is, it is set and fixed forever. And what that means is that those who end up in a lost condition will remain there forever. It's too late. It's too late. And so today, while we give, while the Lord gives us hope, He doesn't give us endless hope because we have limited opportunity. And if you're here today and you have never done anything about your sin and your crippling condition, maybe you've been in a state a long time. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Jesus asked that because if somebody doesn't want to get well, it's nothing that a preacher can do. There's nothing that a family member can do. There's nothing that the church can do. There's nothing that Jesus himself can do until you make up your mind that you're going to rise up, take up, and walk. And here's how you do that today. The Bible teaches us that the salvation that Jesus provides and the hope that he wants to give is through the gospel. That's the good news, friends. We're, that's why we're here. The good news. Jesus died to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin, and to give us hope 
of escape of that damnable condition. What do you have to do? You have to hear. That's what you've done tonight. You've heard. I've got this passage here, Romans 10, 17. And that says um, that uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Where do you get faith? By listening to God's Word through the Word of God, the Scripture. What do you do after you hear it? Well, you have to believe it. In Hebrews chapter 11, and verse 6, it tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. So you have to have faith. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Who is He? He is the Son of God. He is God. He is Savior. He is Lord. Do you believe that tonight? Well, that's not the end of it. You've got to change. You've got to repent. You know what repentance is? Repentance is making up your mind <laughs> that you want to get well. You, you make up your mind and you change your life. It's a change of mindset that ends with a change of behavior. In Acts 17 and verse 3, God commands all men everywhere to repent. God doesn't want us to live in sin. He wants to save us from sin. We sing, come just as, as I am. Just as I am. And that's a beautiful thing. God, God wants you just as you are, but... We dare not leave just as we came. And that's what repentance is. Confession. Oh, the confession. What do we have to confess? That we're sinners? No. That's obvious. We confess our faith. We confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Romans 10 verse 10 says, uh, With the mouth confession is made into salvation. With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with our mouths our confession is made unto salvation. And then upon our confession we're baptized. Oh, it's not the pool of Bethesda, but it is the watery grave of baptism. And the reason baptism has its power and efficacy is because when you are baptized in water, you're buried. You go up underneath the water and you come up out of that water. Guess what happens? You arise to walk in newness of life. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, a man who was a guilty sinner was told, Arise and be baptized. Get up, take up, and be baptized, and wash away your sins. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. It doesn't matter how, what you've done, friend. It doesn't matter what you've done. And it doesn't matter how long you've done it. You can be forgiven. And the reason baptism has its power is that when you come up out of that grave, you are mimicking the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let me close with this. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. Baptized into His death. That as many of us as were baptized into His death, were, we were baptized, uh, we were planted together into uh, His death by baptism. That uh, just as uh, He was raised 
from the dead, we also will be raised to walk in newness of life. I said one more. Let me give you one more. 1 Peter 3.21, where Peter says, The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It doesn't cleanse the skin. It cleanses the sin. And when you do, he says, it's by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and you need that, maybe you have questions. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard anything like that. We welcome that. Maybe you've made up your mind. This is something that is for you. This is something that you want to do. We would uh, uh, take you to a place that is appropriate and convenient for us to baptize you in enough water that you'll be buried for the uh, remission of your sins. If you're here tonight and you need that, we encourage, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Only one, the only one who can heal you is calling. He will heal you. Simply come while we stand and while we sing.